0: Namo tasa bhaka arahato sammasam buddhasam. Namo tasa bhaka arahato sammasam Namo tasa bhaka arahato sammasam buddhasam. Buddhaṁ dhammaṁ saṅkhaṁ namasāmi. Uh, welcome once again to uh, Sunday afternoon talk at Amravati. Uh, so today, uh, the the title, uh, the theme for the talk is stress based mindfulness reduction, which uh, might seem an unusual uh, title for some. Uh, probably many of you are familiar with mindfulness based stress reduction, which is a program. Uh, created in the late 1970s by uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who's a doctor in the United States, uh, as a way of presenting meditation and mindfulness to the general public in a, a language uh, free of um, historical and religious uh, overtones. And uh, when, when the, uh, the Sangha here um, suggested a large variety of 175 different possible themes for these Sunday afternoon talks. Different Sangha members made different suggestions. I saw this one on the list and I thought, well, that's a very good way of summarizing what our mental habits are. That, uh, the uh, aspiration or the the uh, skillful tool developed by John Kabat-Zinn might, uh, might have been mindfulness-based stress reduction, but uh, the common human habit that we have is to get lost in in uh, what is stressful and the uh, confusing and uh, uh, anxiety-producing, and uh, having got lost in that, then we increase our stress levels and we get uh, more and more heedless. We we re- we reduce our mindfulness. So I thought that that's an interesting theme to to explore to pursue for the afternoon. So uh, the uh, we'll look at stress-based mindfulness reduction, how we get uh, lost in these kind of, um, uh, say, tension-producing stressful, difficult mind states and and experiences of our lives, and um, and how that makes us more heedless, more uh, more sort of lost, more distracted. But also... uh, Later, uh, uh, later on in, in the talk, I'll, I'll explore ways that we can actually uh, work with those states of anxiety and tension, those states of stress, and uh, do something effective uh, about those. Though, so in uh, in considering this, then uh, we might uh, easily say, as I was talking about it at, at the the meal time when doing the uh, Anamada before the mealtime today we might feel well there's a lot to be worried about you know it's it's reasonable to be stressed you know they've got the, the worst drought in europe in 500 years they say uh, china they've had the worst uh, continuous drought for 70 days the uh, uh, rivers uh, large rivers are drying up in china you have floods in pakistan in uh, in um, south korea also uh, flooding in utah um, which is usually dry and uh... The um, uh, say the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, tragic uh, warfare, massive amounts of uh, of migration, refugee populations moving uh, around, and people seeking safety. Um, uh, the um, economy in this country going seriously pear shaped. People talking about the prospect of um, inflation being at eighteen percent, which is probably not meaningful to the younger ones of you, but to the. Oh, <laughs> The more gray-haired and wrinkled amongst us uh, who have uh, an eye on the economy and expenses and things uh, and so then uh, let's say um, you know these are things of serious concern you say well yeah Ajahn it's, it's appropriate to be stressed you know things are very stressful and uh, so there's a lot to worry about and so uh, in addressing these themes I'm not uh, trying to pretend that there aren't difficulties and challenges in our lives and uh, important uh, things to to uh, address in, in the world uh, um, certainly these social issues and aspects of our life are, are significant they have a big impact on, on our health uh, the safety of, of people well-being of people uh, the uh, uh, the economy and uh, the the well-being of the planet in global warming and so forth. So I'm not uh, uh, aiming to sort of dismiss or belittle those uh, genuine concerns, but uh, I feel where Buddha Dhamma, Buddha's teaching can be of most benefit, it's about the uh, the attitude that we have towards uh, the, dif- the difficulties that we meet, either very locally with our own health, our own well-being, our, our, own, uh, our own life and with our families, uh, our living situation and and the whole planet. Oh, when we we meet with these uh, feelings of or these experiences of difficulty, um, uh, wrong wrongness, quote unquote, that sense of it shouldn't be this way, or this is this is a big problem, or, or you know this is a this is a serious issue, then. Um, we, we work with, we tend to react to those in, in various different ways. And reflecting on this theme, it seemed that um, when the, the Buddha uh, spelled out his uh, original, uh, the first teaching that he gave, uh, the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, the setting in motion the wheel of Dhamma, the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, you know, he uh, outlined the you know, three principal causes for dukkha, for those feelings of dissatisfaction. for. When he talked about the uh, the origin of dukkha, the the source, the the uh, say the um, the cause of dissatisfaction, dukkha, suffering, there was uh, three uh, particular uh, qualities or, or habits of of mind that that lead to that. These are, kāmatanha, uh, the attachment to sense pleasure, bhava the the uh, the desire to become, or the, the craving to become, to to be something, and vibhavatana, the craving to not be, to 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 switch off, to, to not feel, and uh, looking at the ways that, uh, in terms of us as a, a human family, how we tend to relate to str- uh, things that are stressful or wrong or, or out of order or challenging in the world, I think that those three, ta- karmavatana, bhavatana, vibhavatana, the, the a desire for sense pleasure, the desire to become or the desire to get rid of that pretty much sums up the uh, the the broad areas of how we we tend to handle difficulty and things that are stressful and uh, challenging and we'll probably uh, each of us have our own uh, uh, favored ways of of handling uh, these so I, I wouldn't make presumptions about how it is for each one of us, but uh, probably we can probably we can all recognize these different a uh, reactive and habitual um, ways that, that we relate to to difficulty or stress when we're, things are, are going wrong or challenging or have gone the way that we we don't like we don't want so the first one uh uh the, the, the track of, uh, the pursuit of sense pleasure is just distracting ourselves, just filling our mind with something other, just to kind of stop thinking about the news or stop thinking about that, you know, that problem or that issue is just fill our mind with something, something more exciting, more, uh, more distracting, you know, eat something or, you know, watching, a, uh, uh, w- watch a, a film or spend a, uh, our, uh, our time uh uh looking at youtube videos of kittens or uh, or <laughs> uh competitive sport you know, just, uh, or uh, books you you know, getting lost in in books and stories and and uh, film just to fill the mind with something that's that uh, takes us away from you know all of that that which we're experiencing as stressful and painful and and difficult and so that um we uh, uh, And I thought part of the aspect of the theme, the sort of stress-filled mindfulness reduction, <laughs> is that even though uh, there might be some temporary relief by eating something or, or watching YouTube videos or, or uh, it's filling our mind with game shows or chat shows on, on television or, or uh, competitive sports or, or whatever it might be, um, that... Uh, it uh that distraction or that that uh, that sense of relief rather like you know scratching a, a an inj an injury as a bit of relief, but it can actually make the the wound worse and uh, it doesn't really uh, uh, get to the source of the stress it can actually uh, uh, unfortunately sadly you know, increase it also I would categorize in that uh, the reactive pattern of, of the pursuit of sense pleasure, getting angry, getting upset, you know that we can get a certain relief by, you know, um, uh, what they call doom scrolling, uh, going going through your phone, reading uh, all of the dreadful things that happen. Oh my goodness, there's that too. Oh, and that too, and that as well. Oh my goodness, uh, there's a kind of endorphin flush of. Oh my goodness, another disaster. Yes, uh, that's it. I don't know. I don't know if doom scrolling has made it into the Oxford English Dictionary. It probably has by now. It's probably yeah, been there for a few years. But doom scrolling, there's a certain satisfaction in 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 uh, uh, getting uh, you know, more and more horrible information, or, or blaming. You're blaming the government, blaming the corporations, blaming our family, blaming <laughs> somebody, anybody. Yeah, you know, that uh, that getting upset, getting angry, out to say that's also part of that karma, karma tanha. that uh, the uh seeking to deal with that stress the, those difficulties and those those um uh, uh challenges that that we meet uh, getting angry getting upset and blaming criticizing um and uh, contending uh, uh and getting drawn into to hatred and aversion that's a, a, there's a, a weird kind of satisfaction in getting angry getting upset and uh and and why doom scrolling is a is a thing? <laughs> it's like why why people find themselves doing it. That there's a, there's a kind of strange satisfaction in finding out more, even more bad news from even more places around the world. So that's a one one particular track of how we deal with with difficulty. But uh, I would suggest that that is um, uh, m- it leads towards mindfulness reduction. We we're, we're, uh, what we're doing with that is that. The mind is investing in those the badness or the wrongness or the the, the, the painfulness it's, uh, it's reifying it it's making those that that, uh, that seem more solid, more real and more substantial, and so that uh, that uh, uh, the 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 you know the dukkha is is real there's no perspective on it so i would say mindfulness is a lot to do with having a perspective on what we're experiencing whether it is pleasant or painful or neutral uh and that when we get lost in in sense pleasure absorbing our mind in a distraction in uh, in blaming or criticizing or just uh, our attention uh, sort of filled with with something else uh we're losing perspective we're absorbing into something that's that's uh, to do with, with, sex or violence or excitement or, you know, eating or challenging or conflict that the, the, the mind is absorbing into that which is interesting. So there's a loss of perspective. And so that's why it's mindfulness reduction. I would, I would suggest there'll be a lot of opportunity for people to ask questions and bring up points at the end in the second part of the, of the session. But that's how it seems to me. So then the, the, the other two kinds of the uh causes of dissatisfaction or dukkha that the buddha highlighted the the pursuit of sense pleasure uh, karma tanha is the most obvious That's the the, um, the when we think of desire or craving uh, that's the kind of thing i've been describing is what might be most obvious when we think of craving um you know, we think of you know craving for for something to to see or to hear or to eat or to 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 feel um, you know, craving for sense pleasure so when we think of, of craving or desire then usually sense pleasure is the most obvious thing that, that we think of but the other two kinds of craving that the Buddha highlighted are, are more subtle but in, in a way that they uh, can be even more dangerous or more, more challenging for us because they're they're less visible, less obvious and these are bhavatanha and vipavatanha the desire to become or the desire to be that sense of of defined being bhava tanha its called and vipa-tanha, the desire to not be to not feel to switch off to uh, so that uh, in terms of how we handle the the difficulties of of life with the, you know, the 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 you know the drought or the floods or the the economy or the uh, the uh, warfare and, uh, and the stresses to the planet, the global, global warming, climate change and so on. That, uh, that, the, the, the track of, of the desire to become Bhavatanna, we can get, just get, uh, busy g- gathering more information, in not not just sort of pursuing it for for sense pleasure, but just thinking, I, I should know more. I have to find out more. I, I should, I must. Just gathering information, um, getting anxious. Um, there, there's a, a a way that just me feeling worried about something. There, there's a, a kind of strange satisfaction in, uh, in that. That we 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 find out more about it. We put our mind onto that issue. We absorb into that particular uh, area, um, and not realizing that again we're we're solidifying it. We're reifying it. We're making it you know, more substantial, more real than it genuinely is. And just that that act of worrying about uh, about something. We don't realize it's an act. We say, but it, this, this needs, this is, this is worrying, Ajahn. This is a real problem and it's my responsibility to worry about it. If I'm not worrying about it, I'm not doing my duty. That's the kind of thing that we feel. I'm not reading anyone's mind. I'm trying not to project too much, but just from my own experience, I was a, uh, I would suggest I was a, a world class worrier for many, m- many, many years, much of my life. And as I've said numerous times that Uh, I'd already been in the monastery for six or seven, maybe seven or eight years before I realized that my my fundamental relationship to life was if it exists, worry about it. So the basic relationship to the world is anything that is there, it's to be worried about. And it was such a strong habit, I didn't even realize that I did this. I didn't even realize it was a thing that was done until I spent seven or eight years listening to Lumpur (laughs) Finally, oh my goodness, he's talking about emotion this worrying is an emotion oh my goodness my mind does this all the time wow i'm i'm really i'm really a worried person <laughs> and so um that uh i would say that baba the, the the track of the desire to become the desire to be that sense of you know uh, i'm worrying about this there's a me here who's the worrier and there's a thing that is being worried about and that that dynamic something we can get me drawn into that and again i would say there's a loss of perspective. It seems a real problem. It's our duty to worry about. Um, so that that habit uh, of uh, 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 of worrying about things, or trying to help, feeling like I should do something. I've got to do something. I'm, it's my uh, my obligation. I can't just I can't just know about this and do nothing. And so getting busy, <laughs> being helpful. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be. Uh, we should be kind of. Uh, uncompassionate you know, compassionate and uh, caring uh, these are wonderful important qualities but when they are uh say f- uh, uh, attached to without mindfulness and, and wisdom when uh, they're followed blindly then even the desire to help or the activity of helping others and so sort of doing your bit it, it can be something that's that's um yeah, painful stressful yeah uh i lived in the in Northern California for a long time. And they have an expression there, uh, particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is compassion fatigue, an interesting term. Where like so many people are so, so sort of uh, socially minded, so caring, and trying to do so many good things for so many other beings, other people, and the, the society, and the, the planet, the, the forests, the oceans, that in getting exhausted, getting getting drained by all this stuff I, you know I, I got to be doing i should be doing and, and sadly I, i've even known people to take their own lives uh, because of that this is a sense of pressure uh, uh, that they have been created from their from their own kind of sense of obligation and that, uh, you know, tragically and painfully, it can even go to those kind of extremes where I can't do enough. I should be doing more. I'm a terrible person. You know, uh, this, the difficulty that other beings have, it, it's, 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 uh, uh, I'm to blame for this, which is really tragic and sad. So it's, even though that desire to become, uh, can, is, is more subtle than say that, Sense desire and, and the kind of surface level distraction, it can have extremely negative, painful consequences if we're uh, if we're drawn into that. If we don't have a uh, sense of perspective uh, on that, and uh, so I, I would say that you know, getting busy, uh, compulsive helping, um, uh, or com- you know, compulsive worrying uh, and and fretting um, that uh, <laughs> the uh, Uh, We might not, it might be a a bit close to calling yourself a fritter, but a a fretter. F R E T T E E R. Because I was a compulsive fretter. I would fret about things uh, very, very easily. But I've used that word a few times. He thinks he's a fritter? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, fretter. F R E T T E R. Compulsive fretting. uh, I found that very easy to get into that and just tiny things that the, the mind would latch onto and then get, get uh, anxious and uh, create uh, uh, anxiety about and absorb into the, the anxio- that anxiety and make it a, a personal problem then the, the third of these uh, the uh, the sort of the partner to the desire to become is the desire, the desire to get rid of bhavatanna in pali and those of you who've li- listened to Lumpur Sumato's talks or read his books uh, will know he he talks about these two qualities very very regularly because they are uh, uh, in terms of meditation practice they're extremely um, prevalent they're very common habits the the, the desire to become to get to get concentrated, to get enlightened, or the desire to get rid of our, our defilements, to get rid of our chattering thoughts, to to get rid of our problems and, and so forth, and so vibhava tanha, uh, the way that that manifests in terms of dealing with, with difficulty or, or um, challenges in society, in the family, in the economy, and in the world, is just to, to switch off, to, to to not feel so. Uh, alcohol and drugs are particularly effective or common in, in I wouldn't say effective. <laughs> Again, there's, there might be a temporary relief, like s- scratching a, scratching an itch. There might be a temporary re- relief where you can just stop feeling for a bit, but the, uh, the, the drug wears off, the alcohol wears off, and then things are, are worse than they were before. Um, so that's, uh, uh, that sense of, of going numb or switching off, not feeling. That's the, the, Desire for annihilation, the vibhava tanha track, so that just I don't want, I don't want to know about it. I can't I can't deal with this. Just zoning out, switching off, shutting shutting down, and that uh, this is. Uh, um uh, one of the tactics that we we tend to use uh, in our so sort of habitual ways as human beings sort of dealing with with difficulty and, and challenges it's a uh, a very obviously uh, a, 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 an unmindful state but it can provide some kind of temporary relief just just sleeping through <laughs> your difficulties just switching off not feeling uh going going numb fi- finding a way to get comfortably numb uh, as the pink floyd song i think is it, uh, 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 it was after my time i, I became a, uh, i went into the sangha in 1978 but I, I believe there's a pink floyd song called comfortably numb which is uh Describes uh, that sense of of um, switching off and not feeling is it's very uh, attractive, or appealing, or just to to zone out, to 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 dis, uh, dissociate, to disconnect from that which is challenging or seems to be so burdensome, stressful. So uh, you know, this all might sound extremely depressing. <laughs> Just uh, categorizing all these different tactics that, that we use, but I feel it's it's helpful to you know the Buddha was like a doctor and uh, the, he was known as the 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 doctor of the world the, the great doctor the great physician the Besaja Guru the the, uh, the supreme physician and you know, going to the doctor you know, the doctor doesn't you know it's not very helpful if the doctor says everything's all right. Yeah, it is more helpful if the doctor says where does it hurt <laughs> so what what the uh, what's the what are the symptoms you know you've come to see the doctor so what what's the, where is it hurt what what's the what's the what are the symptoms what's the issue so this is in a way checking out the symptoms and, and seeing uh, what the what the condition is so roughly speaking you can i think in, particularly in terms of how we feel these states as individuals uh, on the mental level, uh, for, as an individual in the mental world, if the mind is drawn into that, um, the 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 desire to become the Bhava track, sort of, uh, then we get lost in in associative thought, conceptual proliferation, what's called papuncha in Pali. The mind just goes on and on, churns, ruminates, goes on and on and on, creating one story after another and creating those kind of challenges and, and uh, uh, reiterates them and, uh, and it brings no rest. Uh, so that there's that, that quality of uh, papuncha or conceptual proliferation, the restless thoughts that, that, that um, seem to, to never stop. And for, for many of us, that's a, a painful, difficult presence in our lives. Just not being able to, you know, not being able to sleep, insomnia or anxiety because the the, the endless inner narratives just keep keep chattering on and on and on. Um, or on, on the mental level, that um, that quality of of just sort of switching off or shutting down the, on the psychological level, just that um say dissociating and and, and uh, switching off uh, and they say that sense of, of uh of going um uh, into a, some kind of a, a blank state just to, to get away from those difficulties and oftentimes when we when we try to meditate and we find ourselves falling into dullness and sleepiness Often the the cause of of dullness in meditation, it's not um, tiredness. It's not physical tiredness. It's just the, the 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 mind being being tired of the endless endless chatter or the anxieties. So you know, we sit down, cross our legs, close our eyes. <laughs> out, out we go, you know, nap time, because uh, we don't want to have to just to to deal with all of that that chatter. So that the the system develop. I'm not recommending this as a <laughs> as a path but uh, some of us who've been meditating for many years, it can be a, unfortunately a well-worn track that you, you sit down, close your eyes and then uh, it can feel quite peaceful but it's a very, it's what um, uh, uh Samhita would call the water buffalo equanimity it's like the, the kind of the mind has switched off and is, is sort of uh, discon- disconnected it's in a, a dull stupefied state, it's not uh, it's it's uh, it's not illuminated. It's not a, a, a radiant kind of peacefulness. Please have a seat. Yeah. It's not a, a radiant and uh, bright, energetic kind of peacefulness. It's a it's a dull uh, and sort of switched off, insensitive kind of peacefulness. On a physical level, um, then for us as individuals, uh, when the mind is sort of following that that uh the the bhava tanha track that sense of of uh, also with sense following sense uh, sense pleasure it usually manifests as a kind of physical tension just the stressing in the body that there's a uh, a tension in our in our face in our neck in our jaw in our shoulders in our hands and just physical tension and uh it's quite common when people coming asking for advice about meditation they say i'm just so tense you know uh, i'm just uh, uptight and so that that habit of of dealing with um difficulty and and problematic issues the body tenses up against it as a stressing in the body and then um or, or uh, the, the counterpart to mental dullness on the vimavatana, the, the desire to get rid of, the desire to switch off, is that our bodies can just be be kind of numb, insensitive. We might feel like, well, I, I know I'm alive because I can see things, I like can hear things, but it feels like I'm <laughs> so dead dead from the chin down, that there's, there's, there's no sensitivity, there's no feeling in the body, so that the, the body can go uh, seemingly kind of completely numb and insensitive. So these are uh, you know these are challenging and um so habitual pathways that, uh, that that we can follow, and so we might think we might recognize this like i 'm getting lost in distraction i 'm getting caught up 've spending hours and hours watching you know, repeats of games, you know, not even today 's game shows repeats of old game shows that i 've already seen before or or you uh, watching endless movies or getting lost in in uh, detective novels or, or, or uh, whatever this d- distraction and, and or getting caught up in anxiety and uh, or, or just uh, going numb and and following these different tracks of of uh avoidance um of, of dukkha and so we might think well you know i'm a buddhist i'm a meditator i want to practice with this i really need to to address this i want i want to work with these these habits um but uh Possibly even more depressingly, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not uh, pursuing this theme in order to make us more miserable and depressed than uh, than we were when we came in the door. But uh, I feel it is helpful to to look at that. Unfortunately, um, but very commonly, what happens is that these same habits of the desire to become and the desire to get rid of they infiltrate. They they are uh, they're an insidious presence within our meditation practice. We're, t- we're trying to work with these uh, unskillful and unhelpful habits uh, uh, to, in using meditation uh, for that. But unfortunately, sadly, tragically, the same habits can work into our, our meditation. Uh, and so again, I would say this is one of the reasons why Lumposa would uh, talk about bhavatanna the desire to become and the desire to get rid of. He would talk about them so much because it's such a common uh, see, trait, uh, such a common habit with a, uh, within us in meditation and I found it kind of uh, it really illuminating hearing him talk about this over and over again <laughs> it did take me quite a few years to set, get a sense of Oh, this is what he's talking about. Oh, when he talks about the desire to become, it's like, oh, my ambitiousness, <laughs> my, me trying to, to get rid of my chattering thoughts or me trying to, to conquer my defilements or me trying to, to be enlightened, me wanting to be a stream enterer, right? me wanting to become a, uh, a perfect monk. Oh, right. That's Bhavatan Navi Bhavatana. Oh, right. <laughs> so having heard him giving these talks and reading his books for years and years, it did take a while to sink in. But, uh, it, it, I feel this is an extremely important, uh, area for us to consider, to look at. Um, because with, with, we, we can practice with great sincerity. We think, well, I'm following the instructions that I've, I've heard in the, in the Dhamma talks, in the books, in the, in the suttas, you know, that you should get rid of your defilements, the, 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 the defilements of, of, uh, Of sense desire, of ill will, of restlessness, of dullness, of doubt. You have to get rid of the hindrances, the nivaranas. You have to get rid of them. You have to you have to uh, develop concentration. You have to get concentrated. You have to develop jhana. You have to develop insight. You know you should. And hearing these words, you might be thinking like, "Well, yes, we should, Ajahn." (laughs) So what's wrong with any of that? That's what it says in the in the teachings, and uh, this is where I feel it's it's uh, ironic and tragic is that um, it's because of a lack of mindfulness that what happens is that those skillful means those uh, ways of working with with the uh, uh, say the the nivarnas the, the hindrances of sense desire and ill will and restlessness and so on that they get taken personally that I have got a lot of restlessness, I've got a chattering mind, I've got a lot of, uh, of, uh, of lustfulness, I've got a lot of doubts, I need to get rid of my doubts, I have got doubts, I need to get rid of them. If I get rid of them, they'll be me without the doubts. If I get rid of my aversion, they'll be me without the aversion. That'll be a good thing. So again, hearing these words, you might think, well, Yes, Ajahn, <laughs> that all sounds really good. <laughs> but uh, notice the I'm stressing the I, I have, I am, this uh, uh, this is what I've got, uh, and I need to get rid of it. So again, unconsciously, because of a lack of mindfulness and wisdom, there's a reifying, a making solid, there's a me here, the owner of these defilements of of sense desire or ill will or restlessness and desire and dullness. I ha- there's a me here who's got these problems. And if I if I get rid of these things that I have got, then there will be um, uh, progress. There'll be development. There'll be there'll be liberation. And so I was incredibly grateful uh, in these years, in the late 80s, early 90s, when Lempusomato was talking about this uh, so much. When uh, it, it had taken that long for the penny to drop, I fully confess. But then uh, he would talk about changing the paradigm from me and my problems to the Buddha seeing the Dhamma, or the awake mind seeing the way things are. Just seeing how the mind frames it. I've got this problem with lustfulness. I've got this problem with doubt. I've got this problem with restlessness or aversion. I've got this problem with with dullness. Uh, You say, look at that. Notice that. There's the me and my problems. That's the paradigm. That's the framework that we habitually create that there's there's the assumption that there's a real individual independent person here who is the genuine owner of this particular problem or that this person needs to get concentration needs to get insight and when this individual person has got insight has got concentration has uh, has got development then this person will be enlightened or this person will be liberated so he said, "Look at that framework. Look at the paradigm that the mind creates. Challenge that. That uh, if you're setting the paradigm in place, as a uh, what we're doing is we're establishing dhamma practice on the basis of self-view. Uh, that's uh, that's the the very first obstacle to enlightenment is self-view, sakaya ditti. So that right there, you're kind of locking the door." <laughs> you yeah, you're actually kind of locking the, the door in front of you not behind you you, you know you're, you're actually preventing any kind of genuine uh development by establishing practice based on self view so uh he would say change the paradigm from me and my problems to here is the awake mind seeing the way things are so that yes it might be that sense desire arises or ill will arises or doubt arises but rather than i've got a doubt problem or i've got a, an anxiety problem i've got a stress problem here here in this mind there's the experience of doubt arising and it feels like this here's the experience of sense desire it feels like this here's the experience of ill will it feels like this is the awake mind, the buddha mind, the knowing mind aware of uh, the way things are in this moment. So rather than establishing a framework, a paradigm of me as this individual person who's got these particular uh, problems or issues or, or potentials, rather here is the quality of awareness that knows this pattern of nature as it's arising. So it's the, the awake mind seeing the pattern of nature, the the way things are in this moment. And so um that i feel in terms of skillfully <laughs> uh, working with these habits of of a uh, stress-based mindfulness reduction to <laughs> to go in the other direction of mindfulness-based stress reduction to to establish genuine mindfulness and to to reduce uh, uh, the stressing and the the problem making um factory <laughs> uh, that uh, the, that's is very active within most of our minds to uh to see how that habit is well formed you can 't just oh i decide oh but from now on i won't let my mind think in that way <laughs> you know, we can 't just d- decide uh, uh as an act of will to to change the habits uh, of a lifetime, but at least we can see that those habits are there we can get uh, familiar with those those symptoms and then uh, uh, work with uh, the development or changing the attitude, changing the the framework uh, that we use. So that uh, this, uh, I feel, is an extremely uh, important, a significant area of of practice. And so, um, when the, the Buddha speaks about the 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 um, the four qualities supportive of stream entry. Uh, the, um, that, uh, are highlighted in a number of different teachings. The first one is drawing close to good people, Sapuri Sangseva. So I would suggest gathering for a Sunday afternoon to listen to a Dhamma talk. Uh, and uh, this is an opportunity to draw close to good people. I'm not trying to flatter or praise us as a, as a group, <laughs> but, this is a pretty skillful thing to be doing with a sunday afternoon considering all the things one could be doing with with a, a sunday afternoon uh, and uh, uh, so that gathering together with uh, good hearted like minded people trying to cultivate the uh, put effort into cultivating the good and to end and uh, in our lives and the lives of others i would say that's that's indicative of Sapurisa, good-hearted people, uh, drawing close to good-hearted people. S- then the second factor, supportive of stream entry, is Sadhamma Savana, listening to the good Dhamma. So hopefully the reflections that are offered here and what the, uh, you can spend your time doing, uh, drawing close to good teachings, helpful, wise, uh, liberating teachings. Sadhamma Savana is the, the second one. The third one is Yoni so manasikara, wise reflection. So using our, our intelligence, our capacity to, to think and to explore, to recognize the patterns of the world, rather than using our intelligence to get lost in conceptual proliferation, ruminating and, and generating anxiety, the, um, uh, we can use our capacity to, to think and to reflect very differently. So Yoni so manasikara, wise reflection, is, uh, extremely important capacity so it's really the ability of the mind to recognize the patterns that exist in nature how one thing relates to another how how nature works how, how life works and as how things relate to each other so yoni so manasikara that investigative exploratory uh, ability that, that we have and the the ability to recognize how things relate to each other so wise reflection or investigation uh, and then the fourth one, which is uh, so sort of the main significant point here, I would say, is dhamma um, nu dhamma patipadā, which is an extremely long Pali word, dhamma nu dhamma patipadā, which means uh, practicing dhamma in accordance with dhamma. And the the kind of counterpoint to that is practicing Dhamma in accordance with self-view, like me practicing to get somewhere, or me trying to get rid of my defilements, me trying to, to get insight, me trying to get concentration, me trying to to become uh, enlightened. So that would be practicing Dhamma based on self-view uh, and that, uh, and on, on delusion. So they can look very like each other, like uh, in T.S. Eliot's uh, one of his poems, he says, like the the stinging nettle and the dead nettle, they they sit beside each other in the hedgerow. but They look like each other, but they're completely different plants. Yeah, you know, one is a stinging nettle, uh, and one is a one, one will sting you, and one won't. But they, they look like each other, but they're completely different things. So, uh, practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma <laughs> is how to to uh, to train the mind, how to work with this life free of self-view, free of conceit. Um, and in tune with reality, in tune with dhamma, and the other is more like the stinging nettle, <laughs> which is the where we we practice dhamma based on on self view, and so one of the things that uh, when when there's a lot of self involved, even though we might be sincerely trying to work with our our the, the habits of stressing and feeling burdened, that. It can be equally exhausting to be practicing. That we might find it's, Oh, I don't want to sit and meditate. It's just, it's just too much. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to switch off. You know, watch the watch the TV or you know, or uh, you know, read a book or take a nap. Just uh, the the meditation, rather than being a source of peace and liberation, is another chore that I have to do. Uh, and again, I'm not. I'm not reading anybody's mind. He said, "How did he know that?" You know? It's like as I often say, it's statistics, not psychic power. It's just that because the, I would say the reason why meditation is, can be stressful and burdensome is because it's me doing it. That's, that's what is the, the stressor is me. It's not the meditation. I also like to point out how often it's that the, when the bell rings at the end of the meditation, if you're sitting not by yourself, <laughs> if you're sitting in a group of people and that somebody else is ringing the bell, when the bell goes, isn't it? It's not just because your knees are released from there their prison uh, I would say but that sense of, of relief uh, it, again I'm not reading anybody's mind but that sense the bell goes uh, uh, thank goodness I don't have to do that anymore it's kind of, isn't that weird it's like the, the moment of the great peace is when the meditation stops the meditation which is for peacefulness and liberation the meditation stops ding ah uh, and then there's there's relief, there's peace, so that's a clue that, that it's me doing the meditation that is sort of, that's burdensome, that it's a thing I have to be doing, and that ideally, in a perfect world, <laughs> the uh, the uh, the meditation is the peaceful bit, and uh, but it's because it gets co-opted these insidious presence of bhavatanna, bhavata-nā, these quiet sort of viruses, these sort of um, the uh, psychological COVID-19 <laughs> variants that uh, sort of sneak in and uh, uh, spread very, very effectively. Uh, they, they slide into the system and, and take over. So, uh, in terms of, uh, of practice, that Dhamma, Dhamma, Patipada, practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma, this is uh, so helpful, so beneficial. To recognize those habits of selfing around I should meditate, I this is my mind, I wish my mind was wasn't like this, I wish it was like that. Just to begin by flagging all that I making and mind-making that occurs. Just notice how much there is of that during the course of, of a day or a period of meditation, to notice that and to see how the paradigms that the mind makes. Like, I've got a lot of Restlessness, or I've got a a problem with physical uh, physical pain, or I've got a a a doubt problem, or I've got a lust problem, I've got a an aversion problem. I need to get rid of that. Catch those judgments. You know, who is it that has those problems? Who is it that that owns doubt? What is it that that is aware of this this uh, physical discomfort? To see that eye making and mind making habit, and that very act of seeing, of knowing it, then. To, to let that have its own effect. Because, again, e- even that seeing can get co-opted by Vibhava or bhavatana. like, oh, oh, I'm doing that selfing thing, I've got to get rid of my selfing habit. <laughs> ding! Yes. Vibhava sort of come in again, like, I- I've got a self-creating habit. If I get rid of my self-creating habit, then there'll be me without this habit, and that'll be a good thing. So, ding! Ding! Okay. That uh, the it's the, it, the word insidious is is very appropriate uh, in this respect. they think they 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 kind of slide into the picture. They they filter into the the system without it being uh, noticeable, without it being acknowledged. But they have a, a potent effect. So to to trust the power of wisdom, of awareness, of vicha. So just knowing that aversion to pain, or that feeling of restlessness, or the the presence of a doubt and just letting the the awareness have its own effect so i like to talk about this principle of a of a self adjusting universe or a self adjusting system the awareness that quality of vicha awakened awareness that's the balancing that's the the the, the curative agent that's the the in, inter, integrative agent that's not, not that too long a word. <laughs> that Which brings things together in a harmonious way. So it's a, a trusting that quality of awareness. And again, those of you who've uh, been listening to lumpus Sumaito's talks or reading his books, he talks a lot about trusting in awareness. So I would say this is the what, what it means. <laughs> trusting in awareness is that when they're, oh look, here's the mind saying, I wish I could get rid of my chattering thoughts. This is the, I wish I could get rid of my chattering thoughts feeling. Here it is. Just letting the awareness of that have its effect. And then what happens, generally, is that because those things are being known as a mental event, as a pattern of nature, that this desire for this or this aversion for that, this, this worry about this, this tension in the body, that very, uh, say, quality of awareness, that knowing, it, it by itself has a balancing effect, an integrative effect. That there's no I or me or mine involved in that. It's the the, uh, the, my, the thinking mind can say, This is my awareness, or I am doing the awareness thing. But uh, that's more self creation on its own. That quality of vicha, that awakened awareness, it's not a person, it doesn't belong to a person. It's what arises in, in the heart when uh, there's genuine mindfulness and, and wisdom. That, that quality of knowing is what arises. Uh, from that, uh, say, uh, attuned engagement with the with the present reality, the, the heart, the mind engages with the present reality in a completely unobstructed way. So that uh, that's what, what I, I would recommend in terms of um, developing a, a counterpoint to, to the habits of, of uh, stress-based mindfulness reduction. <laughs> to to uh, to, say, consciously develop this way of working with our life, with our mind um, with, uh, uh, with a uh, say, a trusting of awareness. letting mindfulness and wisdom be what guides our, our actions. To see how strong the habits might be in terms of, of Dhamma practice of, of I should, I must. Because it, it's, again, it's ironic and, and tragic how much time and effort we can put in, years and years, decades and decades of effort can be, sincere effort can be put into developing concentration, developing insight, keeping the precepts, offering dana, supporting monasteries, or becoming monks and nuns, you know. <laughs> Uh, shaving our head putting on robes we can do it with great sincerity but th- as long as that's based on you know, I should, I must, I am then th- th- we're creating the causes of dukkha in that in that very framework so challenging that and to trust in, in awareness and I would say particularly in this area um, uh, uh, I would suggest that the, the two aspects of the Eightfold Path that are particularly important, is right intention, samā sāṅkāpō, and right effort, samā vāyamo. Because oftentimes uh, that it can feel like any sort of effort is is intrinsically stressful. Me doing something is hard work, it's a burden, and, and that we feel, if I could, just didn't have to do this when it's the weekend, when I retire, when I'm on holiday... <laughs> When the the meditation's over, then I can have a break, then I can have a rest. Uh, Any kind of doing, again, I'm not reading anybody's mind, this is statistics, not psychic power, that any kind of doing is easily taken as being stressful or burdensome. And we think, of when I don't have to do, when there isn't anything I have to do, then there's peace. But if if you reflect upon it, uh, there has to be a way that that effort can be made that is not, that is peaceful in itself and it leads towards peacefulness. Otherwise, samāwayāmo, attuned effort or right effort, that couldn't be a part of the Eightfold Path. If every kind of effort was necessarily burdensome or a hassle or or stressful, there couldn't be a right effort in the Eightfold Path. If you, uh, you're familiar with the, the Buddha's teaching, uh, that the, the Eightfold Path is a path to the end of suffering. So it's... Uh, it 's peaceful in its activity and it 's peaceful in its result, so there has to be a way that effort can be made that is not stressful that we can do we, and also with with respect to intention or decision making sama right, right intention right resolution, there has to be a way that decisions can be made, direction can be given to our life that also is not stressful or personal we might think i decide or i've choose or i i'm i'm going to go this way we might personalize it or we might make it into to uh, hold it as something that you know i'm deciding this i'm not going to do that i'm going to do this instead um but there has to be a way that decision making also uh, uh, is not personal and is also peaceful it's not not stressful or anxiety producing, I want to choose the right thing, I don't want to choose the wrong thing I want to make sure I go in the right direction, I don't want to go in the wrong direction <gasps> what, what will they think if I get this wrong? Yeah. And, oh, and I want to get it right so I'll be praised and, and succeed so there has to be a way that decisions can be made, direction can be given that is not personal and that is also as peaceful so uh, in those two areas of the eightfold path, eightfold path in particular i feel it's it's really helpful to to look at that and to see how we can make decisions give direction to our to our life based on mindfulness and wisdom rather than on me <laughs> and mine what i should do what i shouldn't do what i want what i don't want but rather to uh, attune uh, the heart and the mind to the present situation to use those qualities of wise reflection, mindfulness, wisdom to assess how things are and then to uh, draw upon that in, uh, those qualities, that intuitive wisdom to see what looks like a good way forward and then, and then to say, okay this looks like of all the possibilities that seem to be apparent this looks like a way forward that will be, bring most benefit, will be most uh, effective let's try this and see what happens rather than, I've decided to do this, you know, I want to get it right, I don't want to get it wrong, but rather, this looks like a good way forward, let's try this, see where it goes, and then if it leads to a beneficial result, then rather than, yes, I got it right, you know, people will be so pleased and so impressed, or, or like, oh no, I got it wrong, everyone hates me, they think I, they think I'm an idiot, you know, that is the again, the habitual ways we relate to success and failure, uh, and, uh, is that we we take it very personally, but uh, if we base decision making on mindfulness and wisdom, okay, this looks like a good way forward. Let's try this and see what happens. If it's not based on self-view, then even if it goes to a like, well, this wasn't a good choice. <laughs> this is a, this is a dead end. Uh, that's why they said. Di- that's why there were those signs saying diversion, because this road is closed. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, let's just there isn't a way forward here, let's turn around and go back. It's not taken in a personal way, it's not like an, ego, uh, disaster, an ego-based an ego disaster, it's rather like, oh, that's why the sign said diversion. I saw it said diversion, and somehow I thought it didn't apply to us. Right, and again, I'm not spying on anyone, <laughs> but probably most of us have had that kind of experience from time to time, that, okay, that's not a way forward, let's turn around and go back. And... It's not taken as a loss or a problem or anything that uh, is a cause for, for anxiety or difficulty, but rather it's a, a skill. We we work with the situation and we learn when things don't come out in a fortunate way, we learn from that. We don't take it personally. When things come out in a fortunate way, uh, we learn from that. We don't take that personally rather than, yeah, I got it right. I'm a success. This is perfect. This is wonderful. Everyone everyone will think I'm great. I chose the perfect route. <laughs> They'll be, they'll be so impressed. Like, okay, well, uh, that worked that time. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens next time. Well, let's, let's learn from this and, uh, and, uh, say not making a meal out of it if we get things right or if we're praised or successful and not looking upon it as a disaster if things go, go poorly or, or can come out in a way that brings more difficulties. But whether it's got conventionally speaking a success or a failure, uh, we learn from that. Oh, in, in terms of, of uh, working with uh, the, these habitual traits of getting lost in, in papancha, conceptual proliferation, again, if there's that rousing of awareness and that, that knowing of the mind getting lost in thought, rather than, oh, I've got to stop my mind proliferating, then to, to know that, uh, to reflect on that and say, okay, well, I've been lost in this train of thought, where did this begin? And we can follow it back. And this can be an interesting exercise to sort of trace back to the, to the, the source, uh, where, where your particular sort of two and a half hours of distraction, where that began. It's like, oh, well, I just saw that person's name in a, in a headline. And I thought, oh, who is that? And then I looked up the name and then <laughs> turned into this whole kind of search through Wikipedia and, you know, out into the maps of the world and, how did i get here oh it all began with just i just happened to see that name in a in a headline and i wasn't even particularly interested in the story <laughs> oh that's where it began and say so, oh that's that was uh what it all came from so that just hearing the sound of a bird or uh noticing a sensation in your body that oh it was just that sensation it was just that sound it was just seeing that word that's all all of that whole universe just whoop, arose from that uh-huh Look, it was really nothing. There was no thing really there at the root, at the origin. So that can be an interesting, useful exercise to work with papuncha, conceptual proliferation. Uh, also, just to see how um, we uh, we we have a habit about. And again, going back to my my worrying tendencies for many many years, was that. Uh, but the way my mind related to the experience of, of, of wrongness or imperfection was to worry about it. And, and I, I brought along this um, the, this little booklet. This is called Sin uh, Sin Ming, The Verses on the Faith Mind, by Seng San, the, the, the third Chan, patriarch of the Chan tradition in China. And uh, I'd read this many, many times. I heard it quoted many, many times. But during that era of finally getting the, <laughs> the message of Lumpur teachings about meditation on emotion and the, the habit of, of uh, creating worry, there's particular uh, lines at the end of it which says, One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And, and even though I'd read those words, uh, you know, this is a very worn-out copy, as you can you can probably see, <laughs> I'd read those words many, many times, i heard them many, many times, it re- the, the penny really dropped. It's like, wow, to be without anxiety about non-perfection. So it's recognizing, yeah, the mind sees this as imperfect, the economy, the family, the drought, the, the, the war in the Ukraine, the... the uh, it's imperfect, there's wrongness there, there's things that are out of balance. But we don't have to invest in anxiety, to be without anxiety about non-perfection. We're not switching off, we're not getting tangled up. There's a knowing of that. But and on a conventional level, it's imperfect. But on an ultimate level, it's like this. doesn't mean we don't do anything. It doesn't mean that we don't take action. But the the heart frees itself from that, that stressing, that... Uh, that uh, Anxiety generating habit Um, to be without anxiety about non-perfection. It was uh, I was in the old old sala. I remember hearing Lumpsomita saying um, saying something, and and then uh, thinking of those words. Wow, that's never crossed my mind as a possibility. (laughs) Like if it's imperfect, worry about it. To be without anxiety doesn't mean that you don't care, but the mind is just not getting lost in that reactive pattern in respect to it so and then with a mental numbing then we find that we can we can generate brightness and i would say that that quality of vija or awakened awareness that is the source of inner brightness the the um, pabhasara jitta the the bright heart the bright mind that the more that quality of awareness is generated that is the source of brightness so rather than just going or switching off and going numb to cultivate consciously that quality of awareness that using that trusting in awareness to 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 wake up to what is present on the physical level if we find ourselves you know tense and uptight just to Take the, the time to feel the presence of the body, to, to, to know those, those feelings, not to, to, to hate that or fear that or resent that. Just to know that tension in the body. And once again, cultivating awareness. Let the awareness rather I've got to get rid of my tension. If I can get rid of my tension, there'll be me free of tension and that'll be good. <laughs> Just let the awareness of that tensing habit. Uh, have its effect let that like the the sun coming up in the morning and evaporating the dew just let that the the sunlight uh, the the warmth of that aware, awakened awareness have its effect and then see that uh, the tension in the body it can't sustain itself in that light of awareness and then also that that kindness that that quality of of caring attention that also uh, counteracts the physical numbing, the kind of, you notice that, oh, there is, there's a body that below my chin, that's what stops my chin from scraping along the ground when I walk around. It's like, there is actually a live body down here <laughs> that, that feels and is, is mobile and is, uh, is active. It, it's, it's alive, it's awake. So that, uh, that quality of vicha, that awakened awareness, it, uh, it enlivens and sensitizes the, the whole being as well. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this afternoon. A1. So we can have a pause for some refreshments. There should be a, a tea and such like available, um, and it's just on three now. And so we can gather back at um, three twenty here. If anyone has any questions or things, themes they'd like to pick up and follow, then uh, please uh, feel very welcome to reflect on what might be useful to explore further. So please, time for a cup of tea. So we have about uh, half an hour or so for uh, some Dhamma conversation mm-hmm. and uh, any particular themes or points it would be good to pick up on. Uh, there are some microphones. I would ask uh, people to use the microphones so everyone can uh, can hear the question. But so please, the, the floor is open. Please don't be shy. So. Thank you, Adana Muro, for that good talk, really useful talk. I have uh, to clarify something about sati. Uh, I read one, one of the Dhamma books. The sanya occurs in the conscious wholesome and unwholesome group of consciousness. And the sati occurs only in the wholesome consciousness. If that is the case, there are a lot of mindfulness going on all over the world without any sealer. Mm-hmm. So isn't it dangerous to do mindfulness without sealer? Or can you benefit without sealer doing the mi- mindfulness? Uh, well, coincidentally, this is something I've um, spoken about quite a lot in the past. So, uh Along with the, the, the sati that is completely wholesome, there's also micha sati. It's kind of wrong kinds of mindfulness as well as, as, uh, sama sati. And so, uh, the, um, uh, one of the, one of the, the downsides of the more public programs like mindfulness based stress reduction or mindfulness based cognitive therapy, um, for depression, that they have quite deliberately left out sila. And it's quite, an, it's, it's a, P- specific choice on the behalf on behalf of the people who created those programs. I've discussed this with John Kabat-Zinn uh, and uh, also others, and uh, I've gone into print a couple of times <laughs> on this issue uh, because the um, in a way, if it's some any kind of samāsati has always got some kind of implicit uh, aspect of sila that that is an implicit within that that along with. Uh, paying attention to the present moment there's part of that attention is the recognition of what's wholesome and what's unwholesome and so if it's samasati if it's sort of a tu- mindfulness that's in tune with, with Dhamma, or right mindfulness then there's intrinsically a, a an aspect of of uh, of sila involved in that if it's a, um, a, a what's pre- presented as mindfulness and that sila is deliberately left out I would say that's more of an attention training. Yeah, it it's, can be useful to, to learn how to focus your attention, to concentrate on a particular task. Um, but I would say that it's, it's not mindfulness in the, uh, as would be implied by Samasati or, or mindfulness that's uh, in tune with Dhamma. So it's a major talking point. around the world uh, in in this field and as I said I've gone into print a couple of times and actually another book I'm just preparing I got a whole spiel on that as well (laughs) Uh, and uh, also just uh, I think a a, a paper uh, no a talk that I just uh, I gave in Stanford University that just got posted on the Amravati website that actually uh, talks about that in uh, in some detail because uh, uh, I feel that if If um, mindfulness or attention training is developed without this aspect of Sila, you know, you can become very effective at doing unskillful things. (laughs) And uh, uh, one uh, interesting or or sort of interesting slash shocking, frightening uh, account was in a book um, called Sapiens by. Yuval Harari, uh, Yuval, uh, Harari uh, called *Sapiens* about uh, the uh, uh, about the, the mind and people. He quotes uh, a um, an account of a journalist who went to uh, to uh, to do a story on the American military, and. Um, she describes how she had uh, a, a, it seems to be a, a quite a, a reliable account and she was writing in a reputable journal uh and she uh, she was trying out this um uh, the the sniper range or the the, the shooting range and so that uh, she hadn't never done this before she hadn't fired weapons or was not familiar with, with guns and uh, so they they um kitted her out with this particular kind of, um, helmet, which, uh, say, uh, increased your capacity to, att- to, to focus attention. And so, uh, uh, if you read this account, it's in, it's in the book Sapiens, um, uh, which uh, I can't, I've got it flagged on. <laughs> My copy is got flagged on that page because it is so startling. And so she describes uh, this reporter describes her experience of putting on this sort of this helmet uh, for so, uh making attention more acute. And then she says they they began the exercise. They started sort of running the the uh, the, the targets, and she's she's uh, there with the with a rifle in her hands. And then she said, the next thing I knew, um, the operative was saying, okay, we're, we're, now, we're, we're finished now. And then she said, oh, and she kind of uh, uh, asked, well, well, how did I do? Did I, did I manage to hit any of the targets? And, and then the person, the, 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 the military officer who was looking after it, she said, you hit all of them. So she like, had a 100% success rate on the firing range. Uh, in accuracy of firing the weapon and hitting her targets, But she had no conscious or she wasn't consciously aware of doing it as she was doing it. So you can read that account, um, both in her, in Harari's book and also in the original magazine article that she wrote. So to me, that's pretty shocking. So it's a kind of an attention enhancing machinery uh, that can be used in military circumstances. So it's a, yeah, the attention is sharper, but it's for the purpose of killing people. So, therefore, you know, extremely unskillful and, and, you know, unwholesome, as unwholesome as you can get. So, uh, I have had a, a, an ongoing campaign to try and persuade people like John Kavazin and Mark Williams and <laughs> all these good people, you know, they're, these are friends of mine. I mean, I know these people well. At least John Cavazin, I know quite well. And, um, I've been quietly persuading them that maybe the next stage of mindfulness is, uh, Rather than mindfulness based cognitive therapy, mindfulness based behavior therapy. And so that, um, because also the, uh, in terms of the therapeutic model, and maybe there's a few therapists here today. And in, in terms of therapy, uh, it can be, uh, a very strict no-no for a therapist to tell a person to change their behavior. Um, the, their job is to help them deal with their minds, but you can't say, you know, you shouldn't be, you should behave differently. So like, um, if you, uh, and so to be able to, to say, if you were not cheating on your spouse, you would feel less anxious. Or if you didn't make a livelihood out of defrauding the bank that you work for, yeah, you would feel more at ease with life. Yeah. You know, apparently, I mean, maybe those are extreme examples, but, uh, it's not the therapist's job. Or well, you can, a therapist in some circumstances can lose their license if they, uh, are telling people how to live their lives. And so that, uh, uh, I'd like to change that, <laughs> personally, <laughs> to to say that, well, because within Buddhist psychology, Buddhist practice, what you do, how you, the words you say, the actions you take, are intrinsically related to how you feel. And when the the Buddha talks about the process of liberation, Uh, you know, he, one, one particular teaching, a sutta called, known as liberation is a natural process. He says, uh, one who lives according to the moral precepts, uh, who keeps sila, they don't have to think, may I be free of remorse? You know, one who is, who keeps the precepts is naturally free from remorse. They don't have to think, may I be free from remorse because they're not creating the conditions whereby remorse would arrive and arise. One who is free of remorse doesn't have to think, may my body be relaxed, because one who is free of remorse, their body is naturally relaxed. One whose body is relaxed, they don't have to think, may I experience pamoja, delight, Uh, may I be at ease, because it's natural for one whose body is relaxed uh, and is free of remorse for them to feel delight, pamoja. One who feels delight, they don't have to think, may I experience joy and contentment, because it's natural. And then so forth from one who is joyful and, and uh, is content, who has sukha and pity and sukha, there's no need for them to think, may my mind be concentrated, because for one who has, who has joy, who experiences joy and contentment, it's natural for the mind to be easily concentrated. And then for one whose mind is concentrated, they don't have to think, may knowledge and vision, insight, may insight arise, because it's natural for one whose mind is concentrated for insight to arise, and so on, all the way up to liberation. So the root is sila. <laughs> in that that respect so if we want to 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 not be confused or we don't want to feel um self-respect stop doing things that are not respectable <laughs> stop doing things that create confusion i mean it's a bit simplistic and and i've i lived in california for a long time with a lot of therapists around so well you, know, you can't kind of say that Ajahn. so <laughs> it's not so simple but uh, in t- terms of buddhist psychology there may not be a exactly that simple but it's a major contributing cause if we keep the sealer if we live in a moral and responsible harmless honest way then we're creating the causes for ease and well-being within ourselves to a great extent so i'd like to find a way of languaging that 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 becomes the next after regular mindfulness sort of developed into compassion and self-compassion as a sort of an offshoot of of mindfulness. So, I think extending compassion in it, uh, the, the practice of Sila as a way of practicing compassion or developing compassion for yourself and for others, that's a, possibly a way forward. So, if there's any creative uh, therapists here or people who wish to develop this in a more full way, uh, I'd like to suggest that. But it's it's workable, you don't have to put it in a religious context or have any kind of scriptural qualification, but just in terms of human psychology, then I would say that there's a, a a way that it can be languaged that is not intrusive or oppressive, but is saying this is doing ourselves and, and the beings that we live with a lot of favors to, to live in this way. Yes, if you can pass the microphone behind you. Yes. Not quite yet. Yeah. There we go. Thank
1: you. Hi, thank you, Ajahn. Um, you talked about the Buddha mind and you talked about the mind that uh, frames things around the self. I have anxieties, I have stress, and so on. Um, and you also talked a bit about um, how we take these these mindsets into our lives. So, for example... Um, What would you say are the practicalities of someone who goes to work? They have a lot of work going on and they need to keep on, keep doing that workload because they need to, you know, make income and pay their rent and so on. Um, and yeah, what, what, what are the practical skills that that person can, can practice (laughs) to, uh, to, I guess, Look at that situation and that pressure if you will uh, from the Buddha mind and not from the self-led mind mm.
0: uh, well, uh, I'm on about twenty different committees so I spend a lot of time in meetings reading agendas and minutes and um, correcting minutes <laughs> and uh, also I have a lot of responsibilities yeah you know, just uh, I mean not, not just to, I'm not complaining but just... So uh, that's an area I've had to work with quite a lot, you know, and uh, the, uh, like response the, the the work the the building project that we have that's due to launch on Tuesday of next week it's a an a 11 million pound project. Uh, and I'm the managing director. I am I mean like on paper it's like I, I'm the managing director of of Amorvati Developments, which is responsible for the, that, the running of that project. I'm the MD so I have the with you know, telephone number size figures <laughs> uh, attached to that, so decisions have to be made responsibility has to be taken you know, contracts have to be to be read and, and you have to put your name on them so that uh, uh, there's a, a way that we can hold taking responsibility and and weighing things up seriously and you know, uh, uh, that you're using your your name and your your skills or your experience, your uh, your situation to help uh, do the work that needs to be done, or you know whatever things you might be involved with or responsible for. But uh, to not take them personally, like I was describing about success and failure, and decision making, and so it makes such a huge difference if. Uh, we don't take things personally. It doesn't mean to say we refuse to write our name. We don't just sign your name, you know, person. <laughs> it doesn't help anyone. That's that's, that's a still a lot of self in that. Like, or writing the, the word I with a lowercase i. There's a, a still a, a certain amount of self can be involved in that. It's more the perspective that all of that is held in. So that, uh, you know, with these... This large scale building project that's, so is kind of in in process now and is due to last for a couple of years. Then I, I do, with, with, literally with my name on it, <laughs> I, I do my best to acquaint myself with all of the materials that are involved to, to when decisions need to be made. I, I try to, to read up, um, what's, uh, what are the pros and cons? What are the different things that are, are involved? And then when, uh, I need to make input rather than uh, saying, you know, we should do this. I might say, well, from uh, uh, looking at all of this, it seems like this is a good way forward. You know, what do you think? Or how does that sound? So you're working in a collaborative way, but you're also you're not shy of putting forward your own perspective. If you are trying to control everything or you know, there's a sense of it's got to go this way and I'm determined for the, to get this result, then as they say, you know, you are toast or you're likely to be toast or toasted. Uh, because that kind of rigid any kind of rigidity or fixation on a specific result, almost necessarily is going to create conflict. Uh, either fear in yourself that that result isn't going to happen, or tension between you and others that might have a different perspective. They might have better information, or, or more experience, or they have a different perspective. So, um,. Both those uh, not taking it personally, working collaboratively, but also not being afraid to take initiative and to put forth, well, this looks like a good way forward. And let's, what do you think? And uh, along and this whole process of this particular project of building a new sala and workshop and everything, it's been in, in process for quite a number of years. But that's how I've tried to operate along the way, working in a collaborative way and being ready to sort of. Give direction, or, or um, uh, say say yes, let's let's do it, or, or weighing up considerations. But um, that uh, the the more that it's it's not about me <laughs> or what uh, or uh, or what people think of the project as an idea, but what's actually going to work on the ground, what's going to be beneficial what's uh, what's of practical use as far as one can tell so it's not about the personalities or or reputation or or um any kind of superficial thing but really what is there what's going to serve the community what's going to be a, a good gathering place with a good kitchen and a good workshop and it's going to work on the ground that's the the primary thing if if people uh will say oh thank you very much Ajahn Amro, this is really great okay but it doesn't have to be a, a, a significant or deciding factor. Or it might be that people feel the opposite, like, oh, why did I Morrow do this? <coughs> grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll, learn that we'll remember that for next time. <laughs> we'll learn about oh, that for future. That looked like a good way forward. And uh, all the discussions, it seemed like this was a a, a good solution. Uh, on the ground, uh, didn't quite work. We didn't take X or Y or Z into account. Okay. We'll learn that. We'll remember that for next time or next uh, situation that's comparable. So the less it's about personality and reputation, and the more it's about practicalities, uh, then the the, the um, I find that the the easier it is to to give direction or make decisions or ma- or make input, uh, and that uh, so uh, to be honest, I'm not trying to boast, but I don't lose any even though it's a large scale project with a big price tag on it. I don't find myself losing any sleep over it or worrying about what people will think of me. Like, like okay, well, we, we've we've worked together as a team. We're doing the best we can. Let's see how it works out and taking each step uh, as it's needed uh, along the way. So, I don't know if that's helpful for your uh, what what uh, what work situation you have, but um
1: <laughs> um, I feel like the quantity of the work is what's overwhelming me at the moment. The Yeah, the sheer number of hours I need to put in.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's good to, well, I, you, can, you make your own decisions, but um, one of the things is also feeling obligated to meet what you perceive as other people's expectations is dukkha. Um, and that... Uh, uh, you know you, you you know you make your own decisions it's your, you know your life and and your own choices but i going back to my sort of <laughs> anxious period, I spent a huge amount of time and energy trying to fulfill what I thought other people wanted me to be and to do and Then it slowly dawned on me that w- what I was doing in that, and that often my estimation of what people expected wasn't the same, and also sometimes other people 's expectations were not very realistic, or <laughs> were, were more selfish on their part. And so uh, during that, that period, as I was trying to, to work with that and to not be dominated by that anxiety of trying to please everyone all the time and fulfill everyone's expectations, or what I perceived as other people's expectations, I, I used this little kind of motto or mantra, just do what you do and let the world make of it what they will. Just do what you do. Trust in your own good, your own good, good intentions. To respect your own limits, and then if people praise you, okay. If they criticize you, okay. You're not being hard-hearted or not caring, but you're tr- you're learning to have faith in your own capacity, your own your own uh, your own abilities, um, and not trying to just fulfil imaginary expectations or what you're assuming. Uh, just doing the best you can with each each situation, and then some people will love it, some people will hate it, and most people will ignore it completely. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, uh, and that, I think, is the same for for many of us, if not most of us, that uh, well, we can spend an enormous amount of e- energy worrying about what they think, the mysterious they. And they don't really care. They <laughs> often don't really care. Or... Uh, Sometimes it is a bit closer. It's it's actually our boss who's saying, you know, you know, we need more from you. Um, but then, the more that we develop a sense of self-confidence or trusting in our own good intentions, then um, we find, at least I found it myself, much more able to say, "Well, you might be asking that, but uh, this is this is what I can give. I can't give any more than this." This is what I've got, and if it's not enough, well, I'm sorry, but this—that's all that there is. And if you can, if you're saying that from a place of coolness and not sort of, you know, this is all there is, you know, back off, leave me alone, you know, <laughs> then uh, if it's coming from a responsive, cool place rather than a reactive, agitated place, then uh, mysteriously people are much more able to receive that, and you, and you find oh. People would say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, I was just, I wasn't thinking, I was just, because you always say yes, you always manage to come up with the good, so I just was asking you, because, you know, you're the easiest person, you always say yes, and you always do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to break that habit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, that, uh, that can also be a blessing for other people who habitually ask too much or are expecting too much. But it's, it's the the way we're holding it within ourselves and that where, we, where we speak from. If that's, uh, as I said, if that's a, a something uh, that's really in tune with, with reality and not reactive, not sort of self-based but poor, like, I can lift a 50-pound rock but I can't lift a 150-pound rock. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then that's just, uh, you know, uh, that kind of practical assessment can, can have a uh, very helpful effects. Yes, if you can use the microphone. There's one here as so. well.
2: If it's not condescending, being sort of older and grey as you were talking about earlier on, I thought that was a wonderful answer to a young person in terms of advice for the future. And and and, and that was very, very, very wise. Um, the question I want to ask is going back to Buddhist psychology. And you probably remember maybe a couple of years ago at the start of lockdown, you gave a talk online to Buddhist society about um, renewal in, in I think it was sp- spring and, and, and renewal and so forth. Um, and from what I can remember of it, an impressive talk, was about people having an opportunity to renew when they've offended. And so the question... That I want to ask is based on Buddhist psychology and what the Buddha might have said about dealing with criminality. And I'm desperately trying to um, find a hook to hang it on to, to what you said earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned um, uh, mind-altering substances and the abuse of drugs and alcohol, so I'm perhaps using that as a as a as a, as a hook, really. Um, and the the psychological. Um, State that somebody is in to get to a stage where they need relief uh, from, from psychological pressures through mind altering drugs or mind altering substances. Um, so I suppose two questions is what, what, what do you feel that, um, puts somebody in a position that they are needing to step back from life and feel that they want to take mind altering? drugs or, or mind altering substances and and how do you uh, how how would the buddha or do you feel would would look at dealing with their problem in terms of rehabilitation and you spoke about therapeutic activities and you know the, there's the the 12 steps therapeutic process which talks about you know uh, stages through a 9 month period so this is not an instant um, um an instant solution it's so a little bit of a waffly question. I don't know whether you can, <laughs> you can get anything out of that. But, but you know, so often I, I've seen, and I, you know, I've worked in, uh, um, in the area of criminology and working with offenders and so forth, the wider society doesn't address these issues mm-hmm. in a sufficiently serious way, in my, you know, in, my, in my view. And you keep seeing the same people coming round again. Um, and I'm not aware of any Buddhist intervention in 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 in, in this in this area. So, are are, are you in terms of, of currently um, any Buddhist intervention in in drug and alcohol rehabilitation? And 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 what is the Buddhist psychology around crime prevention?
0: Yeah, there's a few things in there. Um, the uh, I, I think the, the what. Um, I was uh, a serious drinker as a teenager. Um, the, fortunately, I, was, I, was, uh, I came from a poor family, so I didn't have enough money to be drunk all the time. <laughs> but I was uh, running up to the time, about 19, 20, up to my 21st birthday, I was sort of, uh, seriously drunk four or five nights a week. Um, which was as much as I could afford. And my 21st birthday present to myself was to stop drinking. Um, and so, and my so taking off to, to Southeast Asia to, um, pursue spiritual, some spiritual path was, was part of that. But, um, I think what, what happens is that that's the, the, the easy go-to place and is also socially, exa- either socially acceptable in, in terms of alcohol or socially available. If not legal in terms of uh, uh, drugs, uh, um, other mind-altering substances, or prescription drugs that are obtained illegally and such like, so that um, that's the easiest escape route. You know, and, and as human beings, um, we are ingenious. We we find where the, the quickest pathway is. We go to the bush where the berries are. We find the, the easiest track, and so. To get relief from these states of distress or agitation or dissatisfaction, then taking a drink or taking some drugs, uh, you know, to, to blot things out or to speed everything up or to push it away. Um, that's, that's what we do. We easily go to the, the most, uh, available and fastest fix. And even though it might be, Criti- socially criticized, or, um, we know it's only a short-term solution. Certainly, as a, as a sort of teenager, so reckless, uh, I, I met someone I was, as, I was at school with, um, at a, at the funeral at the ceremony at Chittos, quite surprisingly. And, um, yeah, uh, he, uh, I, I didn't know him well. He was a couple of years below me. He, he said, Oh, yeah, I know you. You know, you were, you were known as reckless. You know, that that was, your reputation was reckless. So. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> yeah having been a monk for 40 a Buddhist monk for 40 years but, uh. but that yeah so as a reckless teenager that was the easiest thing is just get wasted on a you know uh, as often as possible and, on whatever was available and whatever you can get away with so that's uh, but then by the time I was 20 then seeing that this doesn't uh, this doesn't solve anything and uh uh, and I feel that the um, what, in terms of the use of of drugs and alcohol as a, as an easy escape or as a, as a buffer, it's because alternatives are not available. Alternatives take more work. It's it's more work. It's not such a, a simple track as just hit the off license or you know, go to the pub or, or find a dealer on the street. You know, and if you're if you're in the drug acquisition business. <laughs> you know where to go <laughs> you know where to find stuff you know how to recognize the the what a dealer's wearing or what they look like or where to find uh, in my memory uh, not that i've looked for anything like that recently but if you're if you're in the field you you know the signs yeah? uh, whatever your drug of choice might or be, be, your behavior of choice might be so that it takes work, and it takes effort, but that, that and I said my my twenty first birthday present to myself was to stop drinking because I could see if i don't change this i'm I'm going to be dead by the time i 'm twenty five either through just al- alcohol poisoning or just reckless living. you know I felt I had some extremely competent guardian angels that the uh, uh kind of Joking, you know, and not joking, you know, As a as a teenager, there were some scrapes I got into, some lit, you know, crashes I had that, uh, thought, how did I get out of that one? <laughs> so without, without too much more than a couple of scars. Uh, I was just remembering the other day, one day, I, I, uh, after a bottle of vodka, I woke up with a beer handle in my, the handle of a beer mug in my back. I thought, my back feels a bit strange. And I kind of reached around and there was this lump of, of, uh, of glass sticking in my back. I've still got the scar over a bit of a handle of a beer mug sticking in my back. Like, oh, messed up the sheets as well. Okay, a bit of tidying up to do this morning. <laughs> so I'm I kind of somewhat familiar with the territory. But it was only when, it was like, there, this, isn't, the, the, this isn't a way forward. This, this, this is a dead end. And I don't want my life to, to be this story. That, that, and that's the kind of thing, is an inner motivation needs to happen. And then, I didn't know what the way forward was, but I had strongly suspected meditation and spirituality was the, 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 the path to go by. So in terms of, of, sort of criminality and, and pe- weaning people off that as, a, as a, um, uh, a go-to place in society, I think presenting the other options, like in mindfulness practices, meditation making it more available making it more accessible um and and support i think aa the 12 step programs are absolutely brilliant you know i really uh, and i spend more in america but also here in in england um been quite involved and supportive of those programs i feel they're extraordinarily skillful and particularly the aa the the foundational principles behind aa the the people who created that are, you know extraordinarily inspired you know the to to uh, establish those, uh, those those steps uh, and uh, see that both gathering together with people of a similar experience, making a public c- commitment to want to change, and supporting each other along the way, you know, all various aspects of it, I think are extraordinarily skillful and um, you know very uh, very effective, very effective. In this country, there are some Buddhist. Um, Uh, programs or groups that that function on that basis. One called uh, fifthprecept.org You can look at the website. Fifth Precept is refraining from drugs and alcohol. Um, uh, A man called Kevin Griffin was uh, just here. He lives in in California, but he was uh, over here teaching. And his his whole um, field is Buddhism and the Twelve Steps and applying Buddhist meditation, Buddhist principles to to uh, dealing with addiction, he was a professional musician, a rock musician for many years. So he's very well acquainted with the <laughs> vast array of uh, addic- addictive possibilities from his own experience. And, but so that's become his his sort of field. So he was invited to teach at various retreats and, and events and different groups. Um, so it's quite there. If you look for it, there's quite a few resources available. I think it's also it's interesting, uh, Lumpokemadamo, who's the Buddhist chaplain for many, many prisons in this country and has been, he's actually the, the longest standing chaplain of any sort in the British prison service. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he made the comment that I think 60 or 70% of people incarcerated, uh, for things they did in a state of intoxication. It's a it's a massive a massive majority of, of people are, are in prison because of things they did in an altered state, and that uh, either alcohol or, or drugs. That's not insignificant. And so, providing alternatives and and making those uh, available, uh, one of the things is that Buddhism is not a proselytizing religion, so we don't kind of advertise or knock on people's doors or promote ourselves. So it has to. Uh, the general dynamic is that. Uh, we, People come to us and ask for input or for assistance. And so, you know, personally, I'm very happy to lend a hand where, where possible, if people are interested, but we're not you know, petitioning members of parliament or, or uh, local medical services saying, yeah, you need us. You know, we've got this program. Uh, another interesting thing I was asked to, to, to do was when I was in, when I was in California, uh, in the, where I was living in Mendocino County, uh, they were trying to introduce a needle exchange program for for addicts and um the uh, the the epi- epidemiologically again, a very very long word um uh, providing clean needles uh, for drug users is a very effective way of of uh, of uh, helping people to stay healthy and to, to spread, to stopping the spread, particularly of HIV and hepatitis, which is very, very common amongst uh, needle users, drug users. And so, um, uh, they had a day long session that the um, Mendocino County um, Medical Board um, had a day long session in Ukiah, which is the county town of Mendocino. And they, they approached me and they said, Could you give a talk about moral ambiguity? Because like giving a, an addict a fresh needle can seem like something that you, you, is going to be causing more of a problem. So, and there, there's this, the argument across the field of like, is this helping or is this hindering? What should we do? So, can you give a talk about moral ambiguity? <laughs> so, uh, that was an interesting way to contribute to uh, uh, the, the area. Both you're not trying to support drug use, but you're trying to support well-being. And so that was, uh, uh, an interesting session that I was a, a part of quite a few years ago now, but um, that uh, that's part of the picture. Anyway, uh, as four o'clock has come around, so thank you for your only uh, two or three questions uh, we have time for this week, but um, thank you for your good questions and your attention, and uh, look forward to seeing you all next week. Everyone.